my name is Obiana Jew Ekocha and I am a, a woman from Nigeria. I, li I, I live in the United Kingdom um, and I have a, a story to share with you. Uh, a few years ago, uh, back in 2012, I came across a project uh, that was being um, that was being proposed and that was being uh, campaigned for by Melinda Gates, the wife of Bill Gates. And this project uh, was supposed to uh, be, it was supposed to be aimed at uh, bringing in contraception <coughs> to African countries, but also not just African countries, but to other uh, countries around the world that are developing. And what struck me the most uh, about this story and this project was really just remembering from my own experience, even though I live in the United Kingdom now and have been living in the UK for almost, uh, at that time, for almost seven years, uh, but just remembering where I come from. I'd like you to know that Africans have a strong edge with family life with family tradition, with what I like to refer to as a really healthy family culture that we have even through all our problems, even through difficulties, that the African people have the family as the source of resilience. That even though someone might be suffering the worst kind of poverty, an African person always has this fallback, you know, that you're loved by family. And in that way, we get a lot of a lot of strength, we get a lot of sustenance, and that's what family means to us. And we have to, we have to, we have to continue to hold on to this love for family because that is what has kept our, our Africa in one place. That is what has, what, that is what has been sustaining in so many ways the, the fabric of the African society, different African societies. And to know that something like this, a project to promote contraception to this degree, just was not at the, at the top of the list. This was not priority for my people. It wasn't in any way reflective of our values. So it moved me uh, to take one step forward with uh, the kind of background I have which is a, an education background and with the confidence that my family had kind of instilled in me but more so because of the inspiration of the Holy Spirit I decided to write an open letter to Melinda Gates so this open letter was supposed to was supposed to just be an appeal to her really a very uh, respectful appeal, if you like, to Melinda Gates, telling her that her project, this contra extensive contraception project, uh, was not really what the Africans were asking for. Docility and absolute complete trust in the will of God. So from the moment that I, I felt inspired to write this open letter to Melinda Gates, from the moment I got moved, if you like, uh, to write this letter, the one thing that I had to do from the very beginning was to be docile, completely docile to what God wanted. I could have said no, 
I'm just going to go ahead and complain to a friend. Perhaps I could have picked up my phone to call a cousin to say, imagine what this woman is doing to Africans. But that was not what I felt inspired to do. What I felt inspired to do was to just in, in absolute silence write a letter. So I embarked on writing this letter that turned out to be a four-page letter to my to my shock and surprise that I ended up writing a four-page open letter to Melinda Gates which you know right now uh, is all over the, the internet and all over the blogosphere because it went viral and that was what triggered the series of miraculous uh, events that continue to unfold every day in this journey that has now lasted three years and that has taken me to so many countries and taken me before so many leaders, many Catholic bishops, including the Holy Father Pope Francis, twice. Another point is for one to always expect that there will be the cross to bear. This is not just um, this is not just me trying to do pro-life work. I understand this pro-life work as a mission. And so if it's a mission, if it's a call of God, if it's something that God is directing and God is, is moving uh, along the way, then definitely I have to identify and expect. One, I have to expect. And also when it comes, I have to identify with the cross of Jesus Christ. I have to know that mission comes with suffering and that the moment I accept this suffering as part of this mission, as necessary for this mission, and I submit, then I'm absolutely joyful. doesn't mean the suffering has come to an end, but it just means that I get to that point of fullness of joy of Christ, even though you know, I might be suffering, even though I might be pain, but then the joy still is there that the work of God is being done. Now started, got involved with the pro-life movement, uh, particularly pro-life concerns about the African people, and directly due to the effect of this letter, I have had to travel through so many countries, speaking, writing, you know, making appeals, helping Catholic bishops. I got involved with so many groups. But what was most striking to me is that like any person, you know, at, at different points, I have had a pause. I have had to pause to ask myself, did I really speak the minds of the African people? Or was this just my own personal opinion? In all of this, I could never let go of the interior life of prayer. That it is a constant spiritual battle it's a constant mission of God and the temptation now that I'm doing a lot of pro-life work a lot of pro-life adv advocacy at different levels um, there is a temptation to go complete full activist mode but I have to always understand having a prayer background having a prayer support system that I am more a missionary than an activist. But you know what has happened to me is that going through different African countries, I have met people who have come forward, African women like myself, who have come forward to say to me, 
thank you for writing this open letter. You know, I read this letter and it really touched me. I read this letter and it really resonated with me. In fact, talking about that, only about seven weeks ago, I was doing a program, a pro-life program for the Archbishop of Douala. And Douala is a city in Cameroon. And this woman, this Cameroonian woman, who is French-speaking, by the way, she came to me and she said, what, what a great letter this was, and how this letter touched me. And I think I should put this letter even in our diocesan magazine. Mind you, this is a letter that was write, written three years ago, but even up to six weeks ago, someone was telling me in Douala how much it touched her and how much it resonated with her. So this is just to show that, uh, you know, you know, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that indeed one ordinary person can articulate something only in a way that the Holy Spirit can, can influence or direct, in such a way that it speaks the minds of hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people. I would like to share with you uh, some devotions. I try my best to go for Mass every day because of the strength and the sustenance that I get from receiving Holy Communion as, as often as possible. It is what continues to sustain me. It is, it is how I get encouragement at the many, many times when I felt uh, some, some weakness or some discouragement on this journey. Also, another, another point of devotion that I'd like to share with you before the the holy the, before the holy eucharist one single hour of adoration uh avails so much for me it i mean it 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 keeps me going and running that uh, i cannot think of doing this work without knowing that i can always uh go back in in adoration to our lord as i said i'm nigerian but one thing i also would like to share with you is that my grandmother was a convert to Christianity from paganism and one thing that I I remember her for back in the 90s when she was still alive was her devotion to Our Lady. This was a woman who could not speak English at all. She knew, she knew not one, one word of English but she was so devoted to Our Lady and she continued to say her daily rosaries until she 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 passed on. And I remember this of her, and I remember her as a really strong woman, and as a really um, God-loving woman, and as a woman who embraced everything that our Lord had to teach through the church. And, you know, she, I, I try to live by her example. I mean, she died on the Feast of Our Lady of Fatima. So the rosary uh, has been so much encouragement for me, and, and I try to, I try to hold on to it every day, and try to hold on to Our Lady, and through her, continue to consecrate the work, every single part of my, my pro-life work, to our Lord. We would like to talk about now the, the kind of humanitarian aid package coming towards African nations. So this is coming from, of course, uh, bigger countries. This is coming from more developed countries, uh, more powerful countries. And African nations have had for many years now uh, this relationship of humanitarian aid with, with these countries. However, in more recent years, we are having uh, a lot of the humanitarian aid tainted 
by values that are very foreign and alien to the African people. A lot of the humanitarian aid, through, you know, through what is laced in it, through the kind of uh, new values and ideas and ideologies laced in it, the African people are being required, in a sense of speaking, to compromise on our love for family in order to receive this aid, in order to, to lay claim to this aid. All or nothing. All or nothing. Mm. If it could be possible for us to have a line item veto, meaning for the African nations to be able to say exactly where we perceive our need and for our humanitarian aid not to be made uh, like a non-negotiable compulsory package that the African nations can begin to pick and choose if you like the points where we need help or the points where we perceive that we need help and then for us to be able to to get humanitarian aid that exactly suits us that is exactly compatible with the kind of uh, family traditions and family uh, cultures that we have and values and visions that we, we've always had. So uh, that is one point that I think that the African uh, people and even the, the, whole, the rest of the world, you know, people of goodwill, should, should ask for Africans that the African people should not be forced. They should not be forced to drop family values and to drop family traditions and family culture uh, in order for us to, to have food in our bellies.